Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Amen. Hey, where's Joel at? Is Joel in here? He's in the bathroom. It's okay. Joel's in the bathroom, everybody. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so good to see you guys. Why, really quickly, why don't you touch your neighbor, say I'm glad I'm sitting next to you real fast. Amen. So good to be here. Uh, like, like Pastor Dustin said, uh, Justin, Pastor Justin, he's, he's the lead pastor of our church if you're new today. And we have another location in Toronto. And actually yesterday was Pastor Justin's 40th birthday. I don't know if you knew that. He's not a big birthday guy. Yeah, you can give it up for him. That's cool. He's, he's not a big birthday guy. He, he's kind of like birthdays are for eight-year-olds. You know, that's like his, his thing. But if you want to shout him out on Instagram and say, happy birthday, Pastor Justin, maybe just say why you love him. Get, send him a DM and just say, hey, I appreciate you. Uh, you've been awesome in my life. It's always an encouragement uh, to hear that. He's preaching at our Toronto location right now. He's just driven across the country for a vacation with his eight children in, in a massive cube van uh, that gets 18 miles per gallon. So you need to be praying for his wallet too. Can I get a big amen? He, he needs some help. And he was down in Minnesota. We had a friend speak a few weeks ago, Nate Piccini, uh, who's a pastor at a church in Minnesota. And, uh, and uh, Nate texted me and he's like, guess who I'm with? And he was with Justin. So they're hanging out in Minnesota. They went to a Timberwolves game and uh, Justin's favorite team's the Lakers and they got blown out by the Timberwolves. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. And uh, some of you are like, sports, yes, yes, sports. I love sports. And... Uh, but it's pretty awesome, and uh, so uh, he sends his love, and, and uh, um, yeah, they're going to have a great time in Toronto being there, and I know his wife and all of his kids have not yet seen our Toronto location, so it's going to be an exciting Sunday. It's always good to bump up your attendance with eight organically grown children in your, you know, we call that organic growth of the church, you know what I mean? We just have some babies. Um, it's so great. Um, I'm really excited to be preaching today. We're in a series right now called Therefore, and we're talking about the great therefores in the Bible. And when you read the New Testament especially, there's a lot of moments where, uh, like Paul, who, who wrote a, a big chunk of the New Testament, will, will be talking, and he'll be making a theological point, and then he'll say, therefore, and then he will give you an action uh, to kind of partake in in order to fulfill the theology that he's just explained. And that's what we're doing today. We're talking about one of the Bible's great therefores. I'm excited to preach about it. Um, and before we get into it, uh, let's just go to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. I'm going to read quite a bit of Bible today. For those of you who know me and have heard me speak before, uh, I'm a bit of a preacher, um, and, and preachers, tell, uh, preachers yell it, teachers tell it. That's kind of the thing, you know? So the front row gets a little wet when I'm up here. So sorry, front row. Sorry, Tessa. Sorry, Brandy. Um, but, but today I want to teach a little bit, and so I've got a lot of Bibles. So if you have a phone to take notes on or like a notepad, they will serve you well today. I'm going to go fast through a little bit of content. I hope it enlightens you, and I'm really, really excited to preach this message today. Uh, Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. I think we have it up on the screen. Here we go. Uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, interesting fun fact about um, this woman, we actually never find out her name, uh, theologians and people who study the Bible literally just call this woman the sinful woman, so sucks to be her, but um, 
He lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. It sounds really awkward to me. I don't know about you guys, but it sounds awkward. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is an awesome moment in scripture, by the way. Watch what Jesus says to him. It's really funny. He says, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Go to the next slide. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh, another translation, ESV, this is why I was saying it was funny. The Bible says Jesus answered his thoughts. He knew what he was thinking inside of his heart, and Jesus answers his thoughts. I just think that's awesome. He says, tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is just currency from back in the day, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? That's kind of what I want to talk about today. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who gave you the bigger debt, who who had the bigger debt forgiven. And then Jesus says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her love, her, sorry, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Wow. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, now, listen, we're going we're gonna to call back to this scripture. So I want you to file that somewhere. I want to title this message, How to Love Much. That's what we're going to learn today. How to love much. Why don't you write that down? I'm just going to pray that God would speak to us and we're going to get into it. Lord Jesus, speak to us today. God, teach us how to love you more. God, we want to be people that are so in love with you. God, I pray you'd speak through your word today. Bless every single person in the house. I pray that Vivid Toronto is blessed as well. I mean, we trust you and love you. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody say a big amen. 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 And I'm excited to preach this message. Um, it's difficult to understand beauty without contrast. In order to set up the message today, I want to take a little bit of time and, and unpack contrast. Because I think if we understand contrast, we're going to start to understand what God wants to tell us today about loving Jesus more. And it's really difficult to understand beauty without contrast. Like, like I, uh, you know, I, I, we, I got little kids, okay? 10, 9, 8, 5, all right? So Disney Plus is big in my house right now, okay? Disney Plus is big. And, and I love going back to like the movies I used to like when I was a kid and introducing them to my kids. By the way, dads, you get to play Lego again if you have a family. It's awesome. 
You get to do all sorts of stuff, okay? And so well, I'll never forget when I got to introduce it to them, Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. You know, remember that? Come on, like Michael Bolton sang it or something that was on the radio, 97 Kiss FM. Come on, let's go. Okay, but, but, but the beauty and the beast, it's a contrast. The, the, the reason that, that the movie was interesting was because there was a beauty and, and then there was a beast and for some reason they shouldn't have liked each other. They, they, they shouldn't even be in the same room together. In fact, the beast was dangerous and seemed evil and the princess was beautiful and fragile, but, but Love brought them together. And what did they say about that? They said it was a tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. There's something about contrast that we understand is beautiful and necessary for us to understand something that's amazing and special. Because because despite the contrast, there's a deeper truth underneath the contrast that brought the beauty and the beast together. For, 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 for those of you who are married, I want you just to talk with your spouse right now. Who's the beauty and who's the beast? Who's the be- I'm just joking. Don't do that. Um, but, but in marriage, there, I mean, contrast is really what makes marriage beautiful. I mean, if you've met me and then you met my wife, you know, you'd recognize that we're, we're very different people. And I've coached a lot of people in premarital coaching. And one thing that we talk about oftentimes is, is um, you're going to have differences. And marriage isn't always just about making you happy. Marriage is about making you holy. Can I get a big amen, all the married couples in the room? And, and, and the reason God's able to produce holiness in your marriage is not because you're so much alike and we get along all the time and everything that she likes, I like, and we finish each other's sentences. It's like, uh, 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 wagon, oh, you said it too. Jinx. You know, like, it, 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 it's the differences. It's the differences, it's the contrast. And it's like, how did those people get together? And oftentimes, we're actually attracted to differences in other people. We don't want to marry someone that's just like us. We want to marry someone that adds something beautiful to our life. And it's the contrast in that relationship. Man, I found this out when I had kids, too. When I had kids, I thought all my kids were going to be just like me. I thought Kobe's were just going to pop out of my wife. There I am, you know? I'll never forget when I met my son Jacob, they, they, they showed Jacob to me, and I went, who's that guy? He didn't look anything like me. It took me like a year to feel like I had bonded to him. Obviously, I loved him, and I would have just taken a bullet for my precious baby boy, but there was like a bonding that needed to happen because he wasn't like me at all. He was already him, and then my daughter June came, and she's exactly like me. And she looks like me, and she kind of like dances around like me, you know? Like, and there was, the, but there was contrast in my family. And what made my family beautiful was not that we were all the same, but there were these beautiful differences. And God used those differences to kind of showcase the beauty of my family. Look at our church, man. I mean, you know one thing that makes the church beautiful? The Bible says when we get to heaven, the church is going to be there, and it's every tribe, every nation, every tongue, it's di- and there's so much diversity in it. 
And the diversity makes you go like, why is this like old, strange, bilingual guy here with this like younger, hip, like what is, what is happening in this room right now? I remember when we were just at our downtown location and we were even smaller than we are now and there were people born in over 40 different countries sitting in our church because we live in a city where people kind of come here and, and we were like, man, what, what is up with this room? What's up with the room is that the Holy Spirit is bringing people together who are different and the contrast of that is beautiful and that's why people come to church and go wow I I don't even get why these people are hanging out together but there's something happening there's something that God's doing because because the contrast is exposing the beauty of God you know, I used to watch this painter on TV, and if you haven't, man, you have not been blessed by the Lord. His name's Bob Ross. Do you remember Bob Ross? And he even went on Netflix. It was like Netflix is like biggest thing, and people were just like watching Bob Ross in the background. If you don't know Bob Ross, he's like a 1970s Afro-toting, bearded hippie painter that was on like channel 24 when I was a kid and, and, and Bob Ross was an incredible painter and he would paint an amazing picture in one hour and he would sit there and he'd have a paintbrush and, he, and he'd, he'd go, let's just paint a beautiful little cloud right here. He goes, we're just going to give it a tap, just a little tappy, just a tappy with the tip of the brush, just a little bit of a tappy, just one more tappy. There you go. And and, and I'm telling you, he's tapping his brush on this page, and I'm like, that is a majestic looking cloud. I don't, it was like therapy for your soul. And then he'd paint a sky and there'd be beautiful light. But then Bob Ross always did something that drove me crazy. He'd paint the most beautiful scene of mountains and cloud and, and, and sky and light. And then he'd draw a line right down the middle. And he's like, I'll put a beautiful little tree right here in the middle. I'm like, you just ruined the painting, Bob. I'm freaking, I'm yelling, I'm seven years old, I'm yelling at my, how dare you, Bob? You spent 45 minutes doing the cloud thing, and it looks so good, and now there's a line. And what you realize is that painting wasn't about the background. The painting was about the tree. And Bob is the, the master of contrast. And until he painted that background, you couldn't see the beauty of the tree because a tree on a page is boring. But a tree in the light of a beautiful background is amazing. Today, I want to talk a little bit about contrast and how we can see beauty. See, see the therefore I want to talk about today. The reason I took so much time setting that up for us is because this is one of the greatest therefores in the Bible. I, I, I'm actually talking about a different therefore than we read at the beginning. I'm going to call back to that scripture, and it's all going to come together at the end because I'm trying to build some contrast today, okay? But, but I want to talk about a therefore in Romans chapter 8 today. Uh, the author's name is Paul, and he's writing about one of the most incredible therefores he could ever imagine. It's almost a crescendo of this great book of Romans. It's almost like the, the crescendo of our story of salvation. And the way that Paul sets it up is he uses this incredible contrast to show us. So I want to introduce you to Paul. Because until you understand Paul and the contrast that was present in his life, we're not going to fully understand this therefore. See, the danger if we don't understand the contrast of the therefore we're talking about today is that you're just going to read through it and go, hmm, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. But once we understand the great contrast, I'm telling you, it's a truth that will make you fall on your knees. It's a truth that will make you worship God. It's like a tree in the middle of that painting. There's an amazing background that we need to paint. 
So first, before you have your thumb in Romans chapter 7 and 8, go to 2 Corinthians 11, because I want to introduce you to Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, check this out. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. This part in 2 Corinthians, by the way, to give some background, is called the fool's speech. And what's happened is there's so many false teachers in this region where this church is that Paul loves, and they're... They're, they're kind of spouting all this truth that, or lies, sorry, that go against the truth that Paul's been trying to teach the church. And the thing about this culture is they really valued wisdom. And so Paul is becoming a fool before them to show him how the gospel is awesome. He's building a contrast, but the way he becomes foolish is by boasting. Because as Christians, it's so silly to boast. But Paul's like, he, he, he's almost having an argument like, hey, this is the silliest thing I've ever done, but let me tell you my credentials. Now, my credentials don't matter. Only Jesus matters. Matters. But let me tell you my credentials, and, and that's why it's called the fool's speech. But we see Paul's credentials here. He says, are they Hebrews? In other words, are they the people of God? He goes, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. In other words, he's part of the chosen people of God from the Old Testament, which gives him authority. He says, are they servants of Christ? Watch this. He says, I'm out of my mind talking like this. He's like, why are you forcing me to show my credentials? It's so silly, but here they are. He goes, I am more. This is, the, this is the inspired word of God, people. Paul was an incredible man of God. That's the picture he's painting. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely for the gospel, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The reason they said minus one is oftentimes because they really believe 40 lashes would kill you with a whip. So let's just do 39 just so he's crippled. Okay, this is what Paul's received for the gospel. He said, three times I was beating with, beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I even spent a night and a day in the open sea. I had been constantly on the move. I had been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I mean, this guy has gone all out for the Lord. He's, he's serving. He's moving. There's no cars. There's no internet. He's just going from town to town preaching. And sometimes they receive the word. And sometimes they do this stuff to him. That's how passionate he is. That's how much he loves God. That's how much he cares. That's how clear his revelation is of Jesus. You know, passion is just what you're willing to suffer for. And so Paul's so passionate about the gospel that he's willing to do this for it. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. I'm telling you, Paul was the man. Paul was someone who loved the Lord. Paul was someone who, when he stood and preached, there was authority to what he said. The, the, the Bible actually says that, that he, he says, the marks that I love Jesus are on my body. In other words, he could just take his shirt off and you could see his back and the scars he had. And you'd be like, that guy really loves the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've never faced persecution like that. And I would hope that I love Jesus enough to be passionate enough to endure something like that for God. But man, that would be tough. 
and I'm glad I don't have to do that. I think that we should be a little bit more grateful that we can just come to church freely every single Sunday. We can praise God however we want. We can sing it as loud as we Come on, you can put your hands together for that right now. You can come hang out. It's amazing. But I want to contrast that right now with Romans 7. Romans 7, 15. This is the same Paul that just kind of bragged foolishly in his fool's speech about all of his credentials. And a guy that wrote most of the New Testament, that God trusted to do that. And look what he says as contrast in Romans 7. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But I hate what I do. Sounds a lot like me. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. In other words, I'm doing some stuff in my life that's not consistent with the word of God that I preach. And I'm agreeing that the word of God is good. But, but sometimes my life doesn't line up with the word of God that I preach. And this is one of the greatest Christians of all time. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Paul says, there's still sin in me. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Wow. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Somebody relating to this right now? You're like, oh, that one makes sense for me, you know? I kind of thought you'd laugh at that, but you didn't, and I'm going to keep moving on. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it again. He's saying, I have sin in my life, and I don't know what to do about it. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love the Bible. I love Jesus. I, I love who he is in my life. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. Watch what Paul concludes about himself. This is the guy that just bragged. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? I mean, talk about contrast. One of the greatest believers ever, giving one of the greatest admittance to what a sinner he is that I have ever heard. I've never had a speech like that before. But when he says it, I'm like, I kind of get that. Here's what Troll, Paul, Troll, what am I talking about? Here, here's what Paul is trying to unpack for us. That until we understand how sinful we are, we cannot understand how good God is. It's impossible for us to understand the goodness of God until it's the pinnacle of the painting on the backdrop of how sinful we are. And Paul understands that in Romans. And he's painting for us a picture of the sin that entangles us so that we might see the beauty of the God that loves us. So I want to talk today about sin. What is sin? That's my point number one today. Isn't that good? What is sin? We're talking about contrast today. What is sin? Sin actually comes from this Greek word, hamartia, in the New Testament. This word, hamartia, is used 173 times in the New Testament. Interestingly enough, 39 times, the majority of times that it's, it's spoken, more than any other book in the New Testament, it's actually in the book of Romans. 
when Paul is painting this backdrop. And in just this chapter where Paul is talking about his own sin, Paul uses it eight times. 5% of the New Testament talking about sin is Paul talking about himself in this chapter. And hamartia is this word that means this. It literally means missing the mark. So, so it's like, it would be like you, you have a bow and arrow and you shoot the arrow and it misses the target. That is literally the word in the Bible for sin. And, and I, it's so interesting to me because when I first learned this, I'm like, that's correct. <laughs> have you ever just heard a truth and your soul knew it was correct even before your brain did? See, that, that's what Hamarsha is. Like, we all know this. Okay, we're talking about sports earlier, all right? My, my, Ju- Pastor Justin has gotten my sons into basketball, okay? And, and, and they're obsessed. They're playing NBA 2K. And they go, Giannis Antetokounmpo! That's what they do all the time in my living room. For, for those of you who know sports, you know. For those of you who don't, you're like, sports, yes, yes, sports. And they, and they love Giannis, and they love Steph Curry. And, and everyone loves Steph Curry. Why do we love Steph Curry? Because Steph Curry can shoot incredible three-pointers. And he can be standing back 30 feet, 40 feet. He's on the logo, and he shoots it up. And it's literally, if you watch it, it's magical. That ball shoots through the air and whoosh, through the hoop. And, and literally, when that happens, it's almost impossible, even if you're like, yes, sports, yes, yes. You, you just go, yeah, and you get caught up in the environment because our soul knows that hitting the mark is right. Right. And when my sons see that, when they watch basketball, they get excited. They go outside. They want to play. And all they're working on their shot. And when they miss, oh, man, dang it. You know, and they'll, they'll even, like, literally degrade them. It's like, Dad, I'm no good at this. Dad, I can't. I just can't. Dad, I just can't. You know? And then when they get it in, ah, ah. And when my little son Jed gets it in and Jacob can, he's like, what? Like, like there's something, like sports are just getting balls in goals. That's it. That's all sports is. And, and, and we give people like Olympic medals. We put, give them gold and put them on a pyramid and like celebrate them because our soul knows that the universe is about hitting the mark. And, and, and the fingerprint of God in us literally speaks to our subconscious that obedience to the God of the universe is what we were created for. So when we see the drama of that in sports or the drama of that in dance or in music and we hit all the right notes, our soul magnifies God deep down, even if we don't know his name because the universe is all about obedience and trusting him. And when we miss it, oh... Ah, I want to be, be like Steph. I want to hit the mark, man. That's sin. See, sin is missing the mark. We, we can miss the mark in many different ways. We can miss the mark of God's intended purpose for our lives or God's intended purpose for something in our life. And we, and we fall into sin. We, we can miss the mark of God's word. We can miss the mark of God's will. We can miss the mark of God's heart. And whenever we miss the mark... We have entered into the realm of sin because we're not living in perfect obedience to the God that created us. And and we fall into the the sin world. I also want to paint another picture just to show you some some Bible theology about sin. Imagine a box that has four quadrants like this, okay? And there's because there's different types of sin. There's different types of way we can miss the mark. You can take notes. There's sins of commission on this side. And so I'm, I'm like working so hard up here, I'm breathing, you know what I mean? I'm preaching so hard. 
commission and omission, right? Commission is, is a sin that you intentionally did, right? Doing something you shouldn't do. That's a sin of commission. There's also a sin of omission that's not doing something that you should do. So you can miss the mark intentionally, or you can miss the mark by like not doing something you should have done for God. Okay, and then on the top, there's iniquities and transgressions. Iniquities are sins on the inside. Transgressions are sins on the outside. So you you can sin on the inside with something you should have done but you didn't do, or sin on the inside with something you didn't do that you should have done. There's just so many ways to sin. Because hitting the mark is hard, and missing the mark is easy. Can I get an amen? So there's sin, and and what happens is this picture, it just entangles us. Because as you're thinking about this right now, you're like, oh my goodness, there's so many ways I could have missed it, and so many ways I did miss it, and, 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 and does that mean I'm living out of step with God, and does that mean that I've fallen back into this area where I'm separated from him, and we have a sin consciousness. We know we're sinners. I mean, I, I never had to teach my kids how to sin. I really, I just had to teach them how to be good. See, the, the Bible says we inherited a sin nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that means that it's just natural for us to sin, just like Paul said. He's like, there's this thing living in me that just disobeys God. It's insane. It's my flesh. It's my, it's my earthly uh, nature that I inherited from my first parents, Adam and Eve. Uh, I had to teach my kids how to be good. Could you imagine they were born and they were just good and I had to teach them how to be bad? Like, that'd be amazing. They just, got, they just got threes every single time they shot a basket because they were just hitting the mark at all times. No, no, no. We inherited a sin nature. Its tendency is to be disobedient towards God. It's selfish. We want to do things our way. We don't want to do it God's way. And our, even some of us, our pride is welling up right now saying, not me. I'm a pretty good person. No, we're not. We're broken. We need Jesus in our life because we're tangled in this web of sin. So, so, so here's my next question. What happens when we sin? What happens? Two scriptures for you. Romans 3.23. You might be like, well, I don't know if I've sinned. Here's what the Bible says. All have sinned. Some people read that and they go, shoot. I read that and go, whoo, it's not just me. All have sinned. And, And look at what sin is. We've fallen short of the glorious standard of the Lord. We've fallen short of God's glory. We don't have enough money in our righteousness bank account to pay the debt that sin has caused us to reach the presence of the Lord. Watch what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. So, so listen, we've all sinned. What happens when we sin? We die. I, I, I knew that you wanted to come to a church service where you'd have an encouraging message on a Sunday. You're all gonna die. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Actually not. Um, but why, why do we die when we sin? Because God is life. And when we sin, we separate ourselves intentionally or unintentionally from the Lord. Because we say, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do this my way. And in, in, our, in our sin and in our ignorance, we've rejected God and despised him and hated him. By the way, the Bible says that Jesus died for people who hated him. Isn't that incredible? 
I realized before I really gave my life to Christ, I was despising God, but by hemarshia, missing the mark of his intended purpose, taking matters into my own hands, doing things my way, therefore separating myself from life, and then only inheriting death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. And the Bible says there's this place called hell, which is eternal separation from God forever because of the choice we made to go our own way and miss the mark. And, and, and the Bible says in that place, it's this crazy picture. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's almost like this realization of like, oh, I missed the purpose of life. I have Marcia missed the mark. See, when, when we sin, here's, here's what happens. And, and here's a great picture of what happened to me when I had a revelation of sin. We look back at our past with regret. And we look back at all the times we've missed it and we're embarrassed. Have you ever had that embarrassed feeling of something you did? Uh, I'm guilty of this. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll think of things I did in, like, grade three, you know? And I, and I said something silly and it'll, like, come back to me. I'll be like, oh, you're such an idiot. And I'm like, I was eight, you know? So hard on myself. But you look back and there's regret and there's sin. And so we just have like coping mechanisms to not think about it, not deal with it, and just go, if I talk to God, he's probably got some wrath for that. So I'll just separate myself a little and go on my own business and do my own thing and, and live my own life. And then we look forward to our future because the reality of our past has regret. And we look forward with fear because you recognize that death awaits you. I'm sorry, but over a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everybody drops to zero. There's no one I've ever seen that's just lived forever. And I praise God for that most of the time. Can I get a big amen? But, but that's true for all of us. We all have to face death. I'm sorry. We live in a world right now that just wants to avoid death, avoid death, avoid thinking about death. We're just going to live forever. Everything's going to be okay. We'll just take pills and become robots and get a neural link in my brain, and then I'll download myself into the internet, and then I'll just be like, that's not going to happen, guys. We all have to face this thing called death. And, and if you don't know Christ, you just approach that with fear. And then the Bible says that now we live in condemnation before God because our sins have separated us from him. And we don't have enough money in our righteousness account to pay for the wages of sin, which is death. Talk about contrast. But I want to talk next about this great question. So what do I do about it? What do I do if I've sinned? I hope you feel the tension. I hope you feel the weight. Because that's what Paul's trying to make us feel in this scripture. And he's using himself as an illustration. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But look what Paul says is the answer. Romans 7, 24. This is what he says. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what he says. He goes, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I just want to tell you guys right now that we've just been painting the backdrop of the picture and the tree, the, the, the beautiful part, the thing that the picture is about, his name is Jesus. And the Bible said that 2,000 years ago, God saw us in our trouble and in our sin and having a debt on us that we could never, ever, ever pay off. And he sent a payment in the form of his son, Jesus. And Jesus was like the ultimate Steph Curry. I'm telling you, when he was here on earth, he got every basket in the net. 
Come on, his, his, his sin shooting percentage was zero, and his righteousness shooting percentage was 100%. Every time Jesus shot the ball, when it came to his character and his integrity and his love and the way that he walked, it was always 100%. So he had enough righteousness in his bank account to pay for the sin problem that you and I had. And the Bible says, come on, somebody, that on that cross, he died a death that we deserved, and it was a death he didn't deserve, and he paid a price I couldn't pay so that anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's the God that we serve. See, Jesus had righteousness in his bank account. And he came down to planet earth and he saw us in our lack and in our sin. And the Bible says when Jesus saw the crowd, he didn't have condemnation and anger. He had compassion for the crowd. And he, and he dies for our sin. So what do we do when we've sinned? Uh, I want to tell you, friends, God doesn't have a cancel culture. See, cancel culture is the demonic representation of repentance. That's what it is. And it's the world system saying, if you tweeted something 10 years ago, you're never forgiven. We will remember forever. It will always be a smudge on your reputation. If we don't like it, now we're going to destroy your credibility. Hey, you might have been canceled by your friends or your family or some people in your life. Maybe what you did was wrong. Maybe it was unjust. I don't know what it was, but Jesus has not canceled you. If you're still sucking air on planet Earth... We still has a God that has forgiveness. He still died for you. And if no one else accepts you, it only matters if he does. See, here's the two things the Bible says to do when we're stuck in our sin and there's the emergency bells going off. The first thing is repentance. Repentance means this. Return to Jesus. Don't run from Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're in our regret and we're just running from the Lord. He's going to be mad. No, no, no. He, 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 he came from heaven to earth to, to love you, to die for you. He, he, he has open arms for you today. So we run to his arms. It means changing the way we think about our purpose. It's metanoia. Change the way you think about your purpose. That's what repentance means. And I'm not going to be about me anymore. I'm going to run to Jesus and I'm going to focus on him. Repentance. Here's the other thing that we need to do. The Bible says confess. The Bible says uh, it's uh, 1 John 1 9. It says, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us of all unrighteousness. Now, the first time I heard that, I remember I was a little bit scared because I thought, confession, okay. God, I lied. Um, I was mean to my wife. I didn't pet my dog hard enough, Lord. I just didn't pet him hard enough. Like, and we feel like we need to bring this list to the Lord. You know, and we're like, what if I missed something on the list? You know, but, but I, want, I want to set you free from that. This word confession is the, is, is the word homology. Okay, homology. What it means is speak the same thing. So, so, so when we confess, it's not just saying all of our sins. Of course, God would love to hear. Of course, God would love to process with you. But true confession is I'm going to say the same thing about my sin that Jesus says about it. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to call sin, sin. It, it, it's, it's not a mistake. That was sin. And that's my flesh nature coming up. And God, uh, if you call it a sin, I'm calling it a sin. I'm going to say the same thing about sin. I'm going to say the same thing about Jesus as God says about Jesus. He's Lord. He's not Lord of one portion of my life. He's Lord of all of my life. I'm confessing to God. And I'm going to say the same thing about me. God's rescued my life. He's made me a believer. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to love him. Confession is saying the same thing that God says about stuff. Can I get a big amen? Amen. 
See, I got this picture up here really quick to just show this confession. See this picture? It's one of my favorites. It's Mel Gibson on the Passion of the Christ set talking to Jesus, you know? And sometimes, don't you feel like we justify our sin to the Lord? Like, Lord, but it really wasn't that bad. And then Jesus is sitting there, you know? And he's like, okay, my son, really? You know, it's like, I, I, I only drink too much every Friday, God. And like, we've only been living together for a short time, right, Lord? And Jesus is like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. No, 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 I never want to try and justify my sin. I always want to look to the Lord who died for me and say, God, whatever you say about it, I'm going to say about it. I'm going to return to you. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to confess. And the Bible says he's so faithful, come on, somebody, and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And the Bible says when God sees you, when you've come to Jesus, he no longer sees your sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ on your life, that you can walk into God's presence boldly. You can walk into God's presence without fear because God is on your side because of everything that Jesus has done. Can you put your hands together one more time for the God that died for you, for the God that loved you. You can take it down. I can get the band to come up here. You see, when you recognize what Jesus has done, it changes your past, present, and future. Because now I look back at my past, and instead of feeling regret for my sin, literally, I look back, I see Jesus. I see the, for, the forgiveness of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, who rescued me from my past. See, Jesus saves us from our sin. He takes your sin. Look what he does. He turns it into a testimony. Now now I look at my past. Instead of the sin I did, it's the goodness of God rescuing me from my sin. That God could save even a sinner like me. And God will use your past. I look forward to my future. Instead of fear, I have hope. Now when I see death coming, man, I have to admit, I'm not the most excited about it. Anybody else? Even though I know that God's going to be there, I still don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that because I'm forgiven, that that whatever happens is going to be in the arms of Christ, in the love of Jesus, in the grace of God. And the Bible promises that nothing can take you from his grip and that heaven is your home and eternity with the Lord, not away from God. An eternity within his presence, serving him, loving him, trusting in him, the thing that your heart knows that you were created for. No more hamartia, no more missing the mark, but eternally being with God. I have hope for my future. And the Bible says this, This is the great therefore. This is the contrast we've been building up to. In Romans 8 verse 1, look what the Bible says here. It says, therefore, now we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have forgiveness for my sins. I have hope for my future. And now I don't live in condemnation. I can go to Jesus whenever I need to. I know that I know that I know that God loves me. That when I pray... He hears me. You you know, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, I believe, said that heaven is least like the past, or sorry, least like the future, because we haven't experienced the future yet. And it's more like the past, because we've already been there. But, But the realm of time that heaven is most like is right here and right now. Heaven is the forever right now, being not condemned, standing in the presence of a holy God. And that's what we get to look forward to, church. Can you put your hands together one more time for how good God is? 
And I'm going to close. But I just want us to sit in that contrast for a second. You know, opened up with a story of a woman who was broken. The, The Bible called her the sinful woman. The woman who just, she just was missing the mark. She's a prostitute. She, she, was, she was on East Hastings doing God knows what with God knows who all the time. And she heard that Jesus was at a party with a religious person. And back in the day, it was totally appropriate for just someone to come crash your party, especially if you were like a pastor, a religious person. So this lady comes in. I can imagine the scene. She walks in there and she sees Jesus. And the Bible says that she falls at his feet and she starts crying on his feet. And she's wiping his feet with her hair. And then she breaks an expensive perfume and pours it on his feet and wipes it into his feet. Back in the day, your feet would have been dirty and dusty and gross. And sometimes you'd wash your feet before you'd go inside someone's house. And this this woman was doing something beautiful for Jesus. I, I can imagine, you might be saying today, Pastor, I'm way too broken to love much. Because that's what I want to close on. Like, how do I love much? In light of all this, this big contrast, like, how do I love much? How do I love God more? After I've discovered I'm a sinner and that God is so good, I'm too broken to love the Lord like that. Friend, Friend, the Bible would teach us that brokenness is not a barrier that keeps you from connecting with Jesus and loving Jesus, but the prerequisite we all need to actually discover how much we really love him. See, meanwhile, this lady's pouring out her praise on Jesus, and and the Pharisee's like, this is is gross. Get out of my house, you know? Why is this lady here? And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. You only love little, because your revelation of how broken you are And your revelation of sin is so small, and you see me as only forgiving a little bit because of how special you are. But this lady, you know what she did? She came in, she poured out sin-bought perfume and heartbroke tears on Jesus. Sin-bought perfume. Nothing of value. This is all she had. She had nothing. She's like, this is all I have, and I'm going to pour it at Jesus' feet. And the the Pharisees going, that's unclean, religiously unclean, just sanitary unclean. Like, what's happening? And Jesus is like, pour it on, pour it on. And the Bible says that when she prays like that, repentance and confession was all tied up in praise like that. Her brokenness over sin, her returning to Jesus. And Jesus literally stands up, he says, salvation has come to this house today. This lady that, that was once lost is now found. She gets it. Because that's what it looks like, friends. If you want to come to Jesus, you realize you're broken in sin. You just come to him and you pour it out on him, whatever you got. And he said, God, I love you. Because she brought sin-bought perfume and heartbroken praise. And Jesus poured out blood-bought forgiveness and wide-open arms. And that's what my God has for you today, no matter where you're at. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, we can always approach Jesus. You can always approach Jesus with a heartbroken praise. With a heartbroken praise. That's how you love much. See, God, the ultimate Bob Ross painter, picks his bat drop of our sin so he can show us the real meaning of the painting. That's Jesus. His love, his grace, his righteousness. From the front to the back, can you stand up on your feet? I just want to sing this song today. And as we sing it, I want to challenge you. 
God, there's been some sin in my life. There's been some places I've missed the mark. But right now, I'm focused on you, and I'm pouring out my praise on you. And I promise you, God's going to speak to you. So I want to pray for you right now. And then let's sing this from the bottom of our heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for every single person that's here today. God, I just pray as we've had this revelation of how sinful we can be, I pray that would just be a background to the glory of your goodness, your grace, your forgiveness. And right now, we pour out our praise on you. We got nothing to offer, but we pour out whatever we have on you, Jesus. Thank you for the miracle you're gonna do in the hearts of people as we praise you right now in Jesus' name.
your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise. It's your Amen. Amen. Hey, can we just give a round of applause for Jesus today in the house? And, amen. I'm from the front to the back today. Let's just have a moment of prayer before we close. Can everybody just, we just close our eyes right now and fix our heart on the Lord. And hey, if you're here today and uh, maybe you haven't heard like a gospel message like this before, it can be quite a shock your first time, um, especially when I'm screaming at you from the stage here. But you know, God, God uses moments like this to speak to us. And I don't know what God's speaking to you today, but maybe you're one of those people that feels like, Pastor Kobe, I need to repent. I need, I need to confess I need to start saying the same thing that God says about my sin. And uh, maybe it's your first time today hearing the gospel message, hearing that Jesus loves you. And I just want to tell you right now that um, it's not an accident that you're here today. God brought you here today to hear this so that you might respond to him. And every time we get together as a church, we love to give a moment for people to respond to God. I'll never forget being in a service like this and, and having a moment where I was able to respond and the freedom I felt after knowing that I knew that I knew that I knew that, that Jesus loved me and that heaven was my home. And if that's you today, you know it and God knows that you're far from God with every eye closed. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but just right where you stand right now, uh, let's just say yes to Jesus together. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that will help you get right with the Lord as you, as you mean that, as you look to Jesus. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. Just throw up your hand if you, if you need to say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? I see that hand. Praise God. Somebody else say, Pastor, that's me today. I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to make Jesus my Lord. Amen. 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 Well, you can put your hands down, and and if that's you today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now, and and if if you love the Lord and and you're good with God in your heart, why don't we be praying for those people right now in our heart that are coming to Christ right now, but if you put your hand up, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I love you. God, right now I return to you. God, I turn from my sin and return to you, God. God, and I confess that, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, and and I need your grace. But God, I I don't want to call things in my life that are inconsistent with you anything but sin anymore. I want to return to your presence. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I give my life to you. Thank you that for the rest of my life, I can know that you're my Lord and that heaven is my home. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, come on. Come on, everybody say a big amen real fast, and thank God for people coming to Christ today. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, it was so good uh, being in church with you today. And uh, a couple things before we go. We, we actually forgot today. We usually have a time where uh, we do our offering and we have a moment where we can give. Um, but you can still do that today on your way out if you came prepared to give. I uh, always want to let you guys know this place exists because of a lot of generous, awesome people that love being obedient to God with their finance. And so on your way out, we have a connect table. You can give there. There's like credit, debit. And a lot of people love to give online, vivid.church slash give. And you can uh, do that if, if you want to today or if you came prepared to do that. 
Um, I just want to remind you, we've got hubs this week. Really get in a hub. You know, the Bible says confess your sins to God that we're forgiven, but we actually confess to one another that we might be healed. And I was talking to my friend the other day. It's like a lot of people are walking around forgiven, but they're just not healed yet because they don't have anybody in their life that they can like talk to any Christian community. And that's really what hubs is all about. Just spending time with people, getting to know people in your church. And I'm sure you'll talk about this message this week and it'll be an exciting time. So uh, if you want more information on that, just on your way out, just let us know you're interested in hubs and we'll have someone call you. Make sure you put contact information down. And if it's your first time, whoop. Oh, that was weird. Um, if it's your first time, I've been talking too much today, my bad. Um, if it's your first time, please just let us know on the way out. Uh, we would love to just say hi and, and just connect with you in any way that we can. It's really encouraging to our team to know that there's been first-time guests in the, in the church, and we put a lot of work into what we do on Sundays, and it's been a really difficult time over COVID, and so we're just getting kind of back together again, and, and the encouragement of people who have been coming for the first time has really lifted up our team, and we would love to be praying for you, so just let us know that you are here, and if you just want to get connected in any way, just like I said, it's kind of a one-stop shop. Just let us know. You can write it on a card. We'll get those, and we'd love to reach out to you. We have a team of people that do that. It's all private. If you have a prayer, it's just our private pastoral team that will be praying for you. And uh, yeah, we got a great week next week. Pastor Justin's going to be back in town. He's got a long drive to come back. He's flying his wife and the youngest back on a plane. And then him and the seven others are coming all the way back from Toronto. He texted me in Toronto. He's like, we made it halfway there. <laughs> because he's got to come back. So I said, it was your vacation, dude. I'm not doing it. What are you doing? But uh, they're having fun. They're, they're adventuring. So please be praying for him this week. Uh, remember to give him a birthday shout out for his 40th birthday yesterday. He's going to hate that I said it, but he's going to love to receive all the encouragement. So just send him some encouragement and we will see you guys back next week. It's going to be amazing. Peace. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.